Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Thanks a lot, Barry. Actually, thanks for the high pressure to get people involved in small groups. That was awesome. I really appreciate that. So, Hey, I uh, hope your Sunday is going really well. How's mine going? Well, interesting. I'll say that for sure. Um, if you're looking up here and you're thinking, you know what? I don't think that this guy has ever preached a sermon in his life. Well, I'd like to tell you that you're wrong, because I did it this morning already. So this is actually number two. So... I mean, you're welcome. You're actually glad that you slept in today because everyone knows that first service is kind of dress rehearsal, so you guys get the polished version of all this. Um, you ever say yes to something and then immediately afterwards think to yourself, what have I just done to myself? Um, I would say I want to encourage you that when people ask you to do things, say yes, and you might end up somewhere up here like this someday. So um, it actually occurred to me as I was preparing for this that how bad would I have to be before Ryan and Doug just like, uh, we're just going to play a video during the second service. So, so apparently I passed, so, so that's definitely good. Um, all joking aside, I do really appreciate the sort of faith that they've placed in me, sort of handing over their platform to do this. Getting guest speakers can sometimes be a little bit of a risky thing. Um, again, you hand over your platform, they're really speaking for you, for the organization, for the whole church, but you lose that direct control over what they might or might not say. Um, lots of times, people who are sort of aspiring speakers or think that they could do it better than the pastor have all of these ideas that they've been sort of stewing over for a decade of sitting in the pew, and when they finally get up here, they just blast you with it all in one swoop. So I've tried really hard not to be that guy to edit my thoughts down, um, and the last thing is just that, although obviously I'm not the kind of person that's like genuinely terrified of public speaking, like lots of people are, at the same time, I see a significant difference between public speaking versus preaching. I think that they're very different things. And one, I do feel the weight of it, that it's weighted more heavily than just coming up and giving you a sales pitch to you know, buy a condo or something. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to take a moment and pray and hopefully calm some nerves and then we'll, we'll get rolling. So, dear Jesus... Thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you provide for all of our needs. Um, I just pray that you would be very strong in my weakness this Sunday and that you would take this time and make it profitable for the furtherance of your kingdom in a way that only you and your spirit can. So I dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Cool. So I just want to say right off the bat, preaching 101, make sure that the wireless mic works without having to fumble for it. So I nailed that. Uh, first, first box ticked. Um, Second big tip, pro tip for preaching is that, like, after listening to Ryan, I have to, like, mention my kids at some point, so I'm just going to get her out of the way right off the bat. So here's my family. Uh, those are my daughters, Lucy and Cora. They're both six right now, which for my other parents of small kids, it's, it's an interesting time for sure. Um, that's my wife, Linnea, on the end. Um, so this is a legitimately true story. It would be about eight years ago, 
Um, Linnea and I went to see this sort of controversial Christian preacher, um, writer, teacher named Tony Campolo who came to town. And so we were, we were at his talk and listening to him, and legitimately in the middle of his talk, he stopped and looked at us and said, son, is that your wife beside you? And I like, from the pew, I'm like, yeah, for sure. And he's like, huh, you married up. So, <laughs> so I know that one of these things doesn't look like the other. I know I'm very, very blessed to be involved in this family. So... Um, we're, we are a big, big body, so even though uh, we've been around the church for probably about 10 years, um, you're probably more likely to know Linnea than me. She's, just, she's been involved in a few different ministries, um, youth, uh, music, lots of different kinds of things. And also, she's just like inherently more social than I am, so you're more likely to have said hi to her at some point than me. Um, I have a few goals for this Sunday. Um, one is that I want to introduce myself, give you sort of a rough sketch of some of my early discipleship. Um, I want to talk about the value that Christian community has been in my life. And, and through all that, I want to dig out a piece of uh, scripture, glean a couple passages, glean a couple principles from it about the value of Christian community, and then hopefully give you something to do at the end, something to follow up with on the end. Uh, full disclosure, Linnea and I are the directors of the adult small groups here. So that's obviously part of the pitch. Barry did a good job of laying that pressure on, and I appreciate that. So... Um, the story of my discipleship really sort of is easily distilled down into a handful of places. And so when I think about different stages in my spiritual life, the ways that I've thought about Christian community, the value in it, um, it really does exist in specific geographical locations. And so I'm going to talk about those a little bit as we go along here. Um, full disclosure, these are all real places, real people living in them. And so my characterizations of them are only how I felt about them in these specific places. And they're not intended to be like a, like a really clear judgment or like an indictment of, of them as they exist as a Christian community, whether good or bad. Um, the way I felt about each place says an awful lot more about me, where I was in my spiritual journey, um, and what Jesus was doing in my heart than it does about those places in particular. So... Um, if you're connected with some of these places or whatever, like, please don't take this as a judgment. Actually, uh, one of them is uh, a place where my parents are from, and they were here for first service, and my dad did shake my hand afterwards, which is good, so I did okay. Um, but I'd like to talk about the first place here for a second, and that's this place. This is uh, Manitou Evangelical Free Church, and this is in my hometown of Neilburg, Saskatchewan. So this is where I was born and raised. Um, about the time that I was born, population ballpark around 400 people. And if there's like a stamp or a stereotype of what a small town in Saskatchewan is like, Neilberg fits the mold almost 100%. So if you're big enough to have a school, it's got a K-12 school, um, co-op grocery store, every small, every small town in Saskatchewan has got to have a good Chinese food restaurant, so we've got a Chinese food restaurant. Like we really tick all those bases. And then in that, there are three small churches. There were three small churches in Neilburg when I was growing up. There was a small Catholic parish. There was a United Church. And then this place. And this is the place that my parents were connected to, that my extended family were, had been part of. My grandparents had been part of establishing this church. And it had the sort of the typical ministries that you would expect. Sunday school, midweek kids club, like an Awana club, Friday night youth group, those sorts of things. And so... A lot of my early childhood sort of centers around two orbits. One that is involved in this church, and the other one, my immediate and extended family. So my preschool years were really both dominated by these two influences in my life. 
something interesting happened when I transitioned from preschool into school age. And so I had a new sort of community to compare things against. I had this church and family connection and then this new one. And one thing that I noticed quite early in my life was that they, they didn't really connect. There was very little overlap between my school community. There were little over, overlap between my peers there and my peers in church. And I am by nature already a pretty reserved and introverted person. So where are my introverted peeps at? Yeah, that's what I thought, right? Like you're not going to say anything. Uh, so so that, that personality sort of combined, combined with some of the teachings that I'd been learning in the church about how we're sort of separate from the world or other than the world, um, I was seeing that in my, in my school life. And it, it left me in this sort of almost negative feedback loop where I felt other than some of my peers, so then I withdrew. And then because I withdrew, I felt other from my peers. And I got into sort of a bad pattern of this, where I was slowly disconnecting from my community. I was isolating myself. There's a, an interesting thing that was going on parallel to this in my other sphere, where I was finding that I had an innate earnestness about spiritual things, and I was really curious about spiritual things. I wanted to know, I wanted to talk to people about Jesus. I want to talk to people about how does this actually work in real life. Um, and so there was a sort of this duality of these different things going on in my life. Um, and so this feeling of otherness sort of started to persist in both areas of my life. I found even with some of my church peers, even though I was learning all of these principles and I wanted to talk about them, that it just wasn't totally a comfortable thing to do, that I wasn't 100% welcome to engage in that conversation. So I want to say again, this was my experience. I'm not judging anybody, any of my peers, what the church was actually like in the ministry, but this is how I felt. And so um, the sort of net result of these things was that I became a fairly profoundly lonely child. And the only place where I felt like I belonged 100% was like in my own home or alone following individual pursuits. I retreated inward. I spent way more time like reading books, doing, playing video games, doing solo things. I slowly quit things like team sports, and I would defeat to so, uh, default back to solitude, giving sort of the least opportunity to escape. So if there was school, the instant school was, was done, I was gone. I wasn't doing extracurricular activity. If I, had to, if I was working, I was working at my job, and the second I could get out of there, I was gone. I wanted to be alone. And so um, I'd gotten into this bad cycle, and I needed something to break it. And that brings me to my next place here. So this is a picture, it's a little dark, I'm sorry, but this is a picture of Campfire Hill at Manitou Lake Bible Camp. And so this is a summer camp ministry, very similar to what we run at Pleasant View. It's down by Neilberg, down, and um, one of the things that's different about Manitou than Pleasant View is that because of the size of our body, we can run this significantly big ministry on our own. Whereas at Manitou, being down in sort of the, this rural area, it's the... It's the end result of the support of a bunch of local churches in the area. There'd be five, maybe six small rural churches that all sort of pour resources into this one ministry to make it happen. I had attended camp here for like a week at a time for most summers growing up, and I wasn't that kid that loved camp. Camp was fine, it was okay, but I didn't love, love it. It wasn't that I just need to go back to camp every summer. Um, but when I turned 15 there was an opportunity to get involved as junior staff. At the time, we called them junior counselors. Now we don't call them counselors because that's, we're, not, we're not actually counselors, right? Um, they usually call them LITs, something like that. That would be a very similar 
phrase. But I was very, very nervous about doing this. But I plucked up my courage and I went. Partly, I think, because most of my peers, it was like an expected thing in these small churches that like, oh, this is what everybody does. So you're going to go do this thing. Um, And it's really hard to overstate how transformative this summer was for me and how effective it was at breaking some of these cycles. Um, There were some young people from my own church that were involved in it, but because of the distributed nature of the resources for this church, there were kids from other communities that I didn't know that were different. Um, One of the other things that I really liked about Manitou was that the recruitment for senior staff largely came out of Bible colleges. And so there were these older kids, older kids, well, to me, older at that time, were super mature, you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds who were working on a, on a bachelor's degree who were coming and serving, doing, doing a summer job and doing summer ministry at the camp. And so now I had these spiritual mentors in my life, right? And it uh, helped to break down this cycle of isolation and end up in this, like, inclusive, interesting community. Um, this sort of innate earnestness that I had about spiritual things wasn't a negative. It wasn't something that people were afraid of. It wasn't something that they didn't want to engage in. It was actually really encouraged. Um, There was something that I could do for once. I was actively involved in the mission of welcoming welcoming people into a relationship with God. And I I was discovering skills that I could use, things that I could do that would be part of that. Um, And I had these new spiritual mentors, these people that could speak into my life, say, hey, did you ever notice you're good at that? Did you ever notice? Do you want to get involved in this? And so very quickly, you can see that the camp season became the highlight of my whole year. So um, time between summers was definitely still challenging. It was definitely definitely hard. But I did have this other sort of community now to fall back on. And so in spite of the fact that the the rest of the year was hard, I had this like built-up spiritual strength that was coming from being involved in the community. Um, One night, it would have been the last year that I could have been uh, junior staff, so I would have been 17 we were having a late, one of those late-night discussions with some of the older staff about just about life, how we felt about things, and we got talking about this, got talking about my life outside of uh, camp, some of these challenges and stuff, and it brings me to my next place. So if you're not familiar with this, this is a picture of Briarcrest. It's a school down by, in Cairnport, Saskatchewan, down by Moose Jaw. So Cairnport has a Bible college, a seminary, and something that I didn't really realize at the time is that they had a Christian high school. And so some of the students that I was talking to were Bible college students from here, but some of them had actually also attended the high school. And they started talking to me about it and saying, you know, maybe for your last year of high school, this would be a good fit for you. Um, I was terrified. The idea of like throwing, like starting all over again, the idea of starting in a brand new school in grade 12, but... They really thought that it would be a good fit. I had a couple of good conversations with my parents about it, and I finally plucked up the courage, did the application forms, and I went. And to be totally fair, the first month or so didn't go so well. Um, I definitely had underestimated the challenge that trying to integrate myself into a school at grade 12 would have been for me. So again, I have those innate um, personality traits, that introversion, right? And so I sort of started to regress back to old habits of isolating myself, quitting things that were awkward or or uncomfortable. I'd sign up for something, show up a couple times, not feel comfortable, and bail. Um, I retreated back into my own space. Now that space was like just like a cinder block dorm room, so it's almost literally a jail cell. Um, And so that was really challenging. One of the 
upsides to it, though, was that if you live in dorm, if you live there, like, you literally can't escape from your peers. They're everywhere you go, right? You even have some, one of them in your room with you. And so one thing that happened is just over time, I did start to find that community. I started to find some people to connect with, people that thought in similar ways that I did, people who were not put off by my earnestness to talk about spiritual things. And so I was making connections with these people. And again, one of the things that happened was that I met people who were able to speak into my life. They were able to see things in me that I didn't see about myself. Hey, did you, like, you're good at this, or you should try out for this, or let's do this together. Um, so this whole experience at Briarcrest was very, very important for me. It was so great that I decided to stick around for a couple years of Bible school, even though I didn't know what I was doing with my life. It seemed like as good a place as any to not know what you're doing. And so, um, full disclosure, even though I'm preaching, I never graduated. You're ta- listening to a high school dro- or a Bible school dropout. So definitely take everything with a, with a grain of salt. But, uh, I mean, to be fair, I don't think Ryan had any Bible school when he started. So how bad could it be, really? Uh, but I, le- I was learning lots of awesome things at Briarcrest. I was getting involved in community. I was learning more about the theology of what I believed beyond Sunday school stories, that sort of thing. And so, and I was developing these close, close relationships. And again, that ability of having someone able to speak in your life and to see things about you that you don't see, good and bad. I had one very, very uncomfortable conversation with my Bible college roommate where after sort of a, a fun night of all hanging out and being kind of crazy, not, not too crazy, don't get the wrong idea, but just being, a, just being goofy, we went back to our dorm room and after a couple minutes, my roommate said to me, well, hey, Sean, um, I don't, want to, I don't want this to be a big thing, but did you ever notice this particular sin in your life when you're sort of are like becoming uninhibited and hyper and, and these things are going on? And have you, I had this experience where, and maybe you have or haven't experienced this, where someone says something about you that's so self-evidently true that there's literally nothing that you can say about it. You can't refute it. There's no argument to it right? And so I was so gobsmacked that I was legitimately silent for 10 seconds. My poor roommate must have been terrified. I don't know what he thought I was going to do if I was going to come across the room at him or what, but it, it hit me so hard that this was, uh, there was this character trait that was so deep in me that I couldn't even see it, but was so obviously true that there was, the only thing I could say was, you know, like, oh my goodness, like, thank you, what do I do now, you know? And so that, it was very, it's challenging but helpful to have that kind of stuff in our life. And so, so what's the point of all this? I just gave you like the ultimate Coles Notes shotgun blast of some of my early discipleship. Um, one thing that I want to sort of hit here is that sometimes we need to zoom way out on the story of our life to see the bigger themes and patterns, right? We get so lost in the day-to-day of just transacting life, shuffling kids around, doing work, doing schoolwork, trying to, what are you going to do with your life that we don't, we don't actually see these bigger themes and patterns. We don't necessarily know ourselves that well. Um, and we, and one thing that when I do that, when I zoom way out on my life, what I see is this recurring need and desire for a Christian community, for being connected in somewhere where that I'm known, um, where I can, where I know and it can be known, and also where people can speak into my life and say, hey, these are things that you're good at. These are things that we need to work on together. And so um, I do want to say that what, what I have to say about it is significantly less important than what the Bible has to say about it. So we're going to pull up a couple of verses and talk about them now. So 
if you have a Bible, if you have your app, or if you just want to read it off the screen, we're going to read from Romans chapter 12 right now. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So this is a pretty tiny text. It's not just a handful of verses, but the implications of it are not tiny. They're, they're quite massive, and, it, and there's a lot of meat here. Um, all of us, even, my, even the introverts in the room like me, have this inborn need for community. We're not a singularity. We are functionally part of a whole. Um, and this is a non-optional, inherent part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There's, some, it's not an, there's no opt-in here. You don't have a choice in it. Sometimes it's, it's tough, but it's true. Um, some places in Scripture talk about things that we should do as believers, but this doesn't say that. This doesn't say that we should form one body. It says that we are one. And so if you're a Christian, that includes you, whether you like it or not. The need to be in community is encoded right into the believer's DNA. And so my, lo- my younger self in my sort of deep and profound loneliness was craving something that I was actually designed to have in the same way that when I'm thirsty, I'm designed to have water. So if we uh, take a look again at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And I really think that this speaks to the value of self-knowledge, of knowing yourself well. And how well do you know yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, If you look at the bigger pattern of your life, do you think to yourself, why do I make the same kinds of mistakes over and over again? And how do we learn these things? Because I believe that if your knowledge of self isn't informed, at least in part, by healthy community, and I do want to emphasize healthy community, not random person, uh, that you're almost guaranteed to think of yourself more or less highly than you ought. And that perspective is super key in this. We need each other. Partly because we don't see ourselves that clearly. You need that friend, that community that can call out the sin and recognize the gifts in you. And what do you think it would mean to think of yourself more highly than you ought? There's a lot of ways to be conceited. There's a lot of ways to be prideful. But I think in the context of this passage, one of the things that it's talking about is to be convinced of our own self-sufficiency. Is that we're enough in and of ourselves and we don't need the body. Um, if we aren't actually connected into a community, um, we can't become of, aware of the ways in which we are wrong because we're never even exposed to different ideas or different points of view. Um, I want to show you this. Um, this is an article from the Babylon Bee, so le- legitimately actually fake news, just so you know. Um, I really like the Babylon Bee. It's um, satirical, largely Christian, um, sat- like, yeah, satire, satire um, news articles, right? And so... There's a lot of value when it comes to 
self-awareness in sort of knowing your own absurdity, knowing the sort of like ridiculous things in your own culture, right? And there's this idea that I get, I'm only going to engage with or I'm only going to be in community with people that I agree with completely. There's a funny thing that happens if you do that, if you do legitimately pare it down like that. And what you will end up with if you do that is you'll end up in a church of one by yourself in your bedroom on Sunday morning. You know, and some mornings maybe that sounds pretty good, right? But you're going to get off base because you don't have those counterpoints to actually push against. So scripture uses the analogy of a body to, to speak directly against this. And it shows a deep interdependency where there is individuality. That individuality is celebrated. We need all of those pieces. But they have a function, they have a purpose, which is to operate within the context of the whole. If we look at verses 4 and 5, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You're gifted and skilled in ways that I am not. Like, for example, how many of you would rather be held up at gunpoint than to do what I'm doing right now? Raise your hands. Yeah, yeah, for sure, there's always a handful, right? So, um, and at the same time, there are big holes in my ability to do things that I need to be reinforced. My weaknesses need to be buttressed by your strengths for us to function as the body the way that we should be. Um, uh, this, this verse does talk about some specific gifts. Don't get too hung up on the list in particular. Um, if you're looking at this, it's like, okay, yeah, I don't prophesy, I don't teach. Okay, good, I'm off, I'm out. This doesn't have anything to do with me. This isn't an exhaustive list. We very easily could have a full sermon or even a full sermon series probably on the spiritual gifts and what they are, right? Um, that's, not, that's not the lesson that this is saying. What it's actually saying is that Whatever your gift is, use it. If you read this, it's like, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's teaching, then teach. It's like, if you, you have the thing, do the thing, you know? You are gifted. Christian community will help you discover what your gifts are and provide you this framework where they are exercised. You, you need the body, and the body needs you. Um, which brings me to my last spot. So hopefully this is familiar to you. Otherwise, I'm not sure how you found your way here this morning. But uh, when we drive to church, most mornings we come down 36th Street and then we turn left at the four-way stop. And there's this really cute moment where lots of mornings my kids see the cross so sort of over the horizon and then they often point it out, which is really fun for me. I really like that, they're, that they own this place, that this is our church. It, it just makes me feel good. Um, but there is... Yeah, there's just lots of value in having a home and having a home church. So um, Linnea and I moved to Lloyd, um, 29, 2010, um, right around there. I might be wrong, but she's not here, so I can say whatever I want, which is nice. Uh, and it's a bigger church than I grew up attending, um, obviously, right, from Neilberg to this. Um, and so one of the first things that we did was we began leading an adult's Bible study. And that's actually where I first got to know Ryan. That was back before he was Pastor Ryan. He was actually just a failed rock star. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's probably, that's a, that's a little bit unfair. So I'm sorry. I, it's really, honestly, at that time, he was still a failing rock star. So, but anyway, that, that group took this larger body 
of believers and distilled it down to my community, my family, my core group, right? And that's where I first started building relationships. Some of those people in that group are some of my, still my, some of my closest connections within this church. FBC's become my home in a way that no other church community has ever been before. Um, we are a really big church. That's, a, that's just a true fact. If you look at stats, we are way ahead of the curve. Um, and there's really good things that can come from being a big church. One of the things is that the scale of the ministry, the, the scale of the work that we can do together, mobilize together, is massive. I think back to my days working in summer camp, that um, we run one, of, one ministry like that all by ourselves, and that we have this awesomely clear pipeline that comes back from, we get kids to come to camp, we pitch um, Kids Quest and youth group to them, Lots of them, we know stories of kids who uh, through that have been dragging, drug their parents into church. And so there's this really awesome deep connection that when we do this ministry together, it can be this really awesome cohesive whole, you know. Um, we, do, we have an awesomely huge kids ministry, uh, youth. Um, if you've ever shown up for the backyard barbecue, like it feels like half the town is here, right? Those are things that we do because we do them together, right? So... Um, we have this deep bench, if you'll excuse a bad sports metaphor, with lots of resources, lots of gifts represented right in this room. Um, the counterpoint to that is that you might have to actually consciously choose to think small, to engage in those personal relationships. We're not that little prairie church where everybody knows their first name and everyone knows whose aunt and uncle are. Um, the size of our body makes it possible not only to get lost in the crowd, which does sometimes happen, but also to actively hide in the crowd if that's what you want to do. If you want to just sort of check in, get what you can from, from, say, a Sunday service and then check out, it's a possible thing to do, just partly because of the scale of our church. Um, so I want to hit you with uh, just a couple of principles to sort of round off everything that I was just talking about here. One is that I'm convinced that God's designed you to live out your spiritual life in community. It's not something that you're in, ever intended to do solely in isolation. I think personal, individual, solo prayer and study and stuff is valuable, but the gifts that you have, the skills that you learn, the knowledge that you learn from doing that are intended to bless the whole. Um, you need an outside perspective to help you discern your gifts and weaknesses. I think lots of us struggle with seeing ourselves as clearly as we think that we do, and you really need counterpoints to fill in those holes. And finally, your gifts are intended to serve the whole. That's what they're there for. Um, so let's say hypothetically, I've just given you my awesome sales pitch and you're convinced. You're like, you know what, Sean, I, I'm on board. This is something that we need to get involved in. But what, what do I do now? Like, what's the next step here? I'm so glad you asked. So there's a couple of things. Um, first off, I would really encourage you, if you're not already, to consider signing up for a small group. There's lots of ways to do that. You can do it. If you're an introvert like me, just want to be left alone, you can do it on the app. You can do it on our website. If you want to go to, out to the Welcome Center immediately following the church, Linnea will be out there and she'll be happy to talk to you, work you through the process and get you signed up for a small group. I do want to say um, we try really hard to get everybody who's interested integrated into a small group. Um, we don't have enough small groups operating currently that we have one on every day in every possible time slot so that like, we get, I get 100% guarantee that I could, hit, I could hit you with one that works for you. But we try really, really hard. But you got to work with us a little bit. If you're only available every third Thursday between 7.42 and 8.15, it's going to be really hard to get you into a small group. 
Um, let's say that's not the right step for you, but you're thinking about this thing. You're sort of on the, on the edges of it. Um, please consider coming to Small Group Startup. If you, saw, if you were here before the music started, you saw we had a little pre-roll video where we talked about that a little bit. I'm slowly taking over the whole church, so video, I'm speaking. Next, next Sunday, I'm going to play music too, just to do the whole show. But, uh, so Small Group Startup, Linnea and I are going to host. It takes place for seven weeks, starting on October the 15th. So if you're relatively new to the church, never got around to getting involved in a small group, or you'd like to, you're just not sure who to invite, there isn't an obvious connection there, consider coming to that. Our goal is not that Linnea and I run that ministry indefinitely, but that a couple of small groups grow organically out of it and then are, are sent off, right? So, but maybe neither of those things are the right thing for you. Um, I really want to encourage you, if it's not, please consider if you're in that place, starting up a small group yourself. Maybe, maybe this is something that's been on the back burner for a while, and you just need a little proverbial kick in the pants to get going. Um, if, you're on that, if you're on that fringe, if you're like, yeah, I think maybe this is the thing that we should be doing, but um, I have an idea of a few people that we could maybe like, connect with that would be good fits, um, reach out to us. Let us know how we can support you. We are doing, trying to do a little more leader training, give people resources and that connection. But just if, if you're on that edge, I really want to encourage you to just get going. Um, one of the big upsides to like leading and creating your own small group is that you can build something that works for you in your life. And that's something that Linnea and I found when we first started doing this, is that um, we could sort of tailor make a small group to something that works for us. I'm a big, big believer in that you're better to, to do something that you can commit to than to commit to something that you can't do. So if you overcommit, say we're going to do this crazy schedule, and, it, and realistically it just doesn't work in your life, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and we really see the value in small groups when people are integrated into a family. Part of that has to do with commitment. I, want, I need to be able to trust that these people that I'm being vulnerable with are, the, are showing up, you know? Um, and I do want to take a little aside here and speak to those of us that have like real challenging work schedules or shift work. I have a lot of empathy for that. I work shift work too. And so um, I, I try really hard not to let it to be an excuse for things like this. And so take, if, you, if you choose to start and lead the small group, then you're in control of it and you build something that works in your life. Think outside the box. Build something that works on your schedule. Try to make something that you can commit to. Um, there are things about being a Christian, about being integrated in this body, that we can't do in isolation, that are inherently designed to be exercised within the body. So I'm going to invite Ryan and the servers for communion forward because we're going to partake in one of those things together. Communion is one of those acts that was designed to do in community, right from the very first time. Um, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy on you now, but I really enjoy like, science fiction and fantasy. Those are some of my favorite sort of genres to like, read and watch. And I was recently reading out of one of, one of my favorite books, and there's this scene where a group of believers are partaking in communion on a spaceship. Of, and that's even just a weird sentence to say out loud, right? But it really got me thinking about how, like, in some ways, we're them. If you take a look at when the first, the first communion took place, the Last Supper, we're 2,000 years beyond that. And there's this awesome picture how God has been faithful to his body through these years that we exist in this unbroken line that goes all the way back to there. And I don't know what your personal end times theology is, but if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, we'll still be here doing this act 
2,000 years from now because God will continue to be faithful to his body. And that's a really sort of extraordinarily powerful thing here. Um, so I'm going to invite Ryan to lead us in communion now. Sean mentioned that uh, it's helpful to get outside perspectives uh, to find out about your gifts and where you stand, and I'd say I got a healthy dose of that this morning. So We often teach not to take communion if you've got an issue with a brother without working that out first. So I don't know if we should note to self if we ask him to speak again. So I love, well, first of all, I love this picture of people taking communion on a spaceship uh, kind of jealous, wish we were doing that this morning. But I love how Sean unpacked Romans 12 for us this morning. Just this idea of not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And what he touched on was actually really powerful for me because I often think about, you know, when I think highly of myself to think, oh, I'm good at this or I can do this or whatever. But to recognize that withdrawing into isolation and making yourself an island and feeling like you don't need the help and the input of others, you don't need that. Um, is actually a, is probably one of the truest ways we can think too highly of ourselves. We were designed to need each other in this faith journey that we're on. Um, this act of communion, we do it once a month here at FBC, and we commemorate the fact that Jesus died on the cross to uh, pay the price for our sins so that we can have eternal hope in him. But you know, if we look at Romans 12, this idea of us becoming this body, really what happened on the cross is that Jesus' body was broken apart. It was ripped to shreds so that all of us could join us this body and are connected together. And what a powerful thought that 2,000 years ago, the disciples around this table with Jesus uh, were taking communion together. And, and not only do we do that together, like in this room, we don't, none of us know everybody's name in this room, but this is something that connects us together, not only with everybody in this immediate context, but this is something that transcends time and culture and demographics and history and all of that that we're joined together with those first disciples, that we're joined together with the history of the church and the future of the church, which we can't even see yet. What, what an amazing sign this is. And I want you guys to, I'd invite you guys as we're taking communion this morning to, to reflect on the fact that this is an act to represent the fact that Jesus forgives our sins, but to think about what the implications are for you in this life. As Sean was talking, as he's reading from Romans 12, as he's teaching us, what does it mean if Jesus died on the cross and ripped his body apart so that we could join into it and be part of an intentional faith community where we depend on each other and we push each other forward and we lean on each other? What does that look like in your life? And where are those areas where you maybe need to think of yourself not more highly than you ought, but with sober judgment like Paul would have us do? One of the uh, things that I often think about in regards to being a follower of Jesus, this idea of Christianity is just the tension between my belief that it is the, the best thing available to us in life, that it is so rewarding and so enriching and so fulfilling. But on the other side, it's, it's like the hardest part of my life when it comes down to it, to surrender my will and to make the sacrifices that are required to follow Jesus. It's, it's genuinely difficult. And even this idea of you know being in community together, which is really has a lot to do with communion. I mean, communion is based around this idea of a, kind of a common sharing in something. Even that, I mean, if you're like me, you think sometimes, man, that takes time, that takes emotional energy, physical energy, spiritual energy, mental energy. Like, it's, it's a lot. You gotta hear about people's messes, you gotta share your mess with people. It doesn't always just come easy, and I think that can be said about most aspects of the Christian faith. And it does require sacrifices. For Jesus, this the sacrifice it required was everything. 
Every ounce of emotional, mental, spiritual, physical energy he had poured out until his life was taken as he was ripped to shreds and humiliated in front of crowds so that one day we could experience this incredible interconnectedness of being integrated into his body. What an amazing sacrifice for Jesus to make. And I mean, the sacrifices I make are real, but pale in comparison to this. I am so thankful to put my trust in a Savior and a God who is willing to take those big sacrifices on so that even though I have to do the same, I don't have to do it on the level that he did. Scripture teaches um, kind of metaphorically this idea of Jesus's blood washing our sins away. I mean, it doesn't physically happen, but the reality is that when Jesus' blood poured out on the cross, it, it, it brought this forgiveness of sins, this thing that we couldn't achieve on our own. And I often really individualize that. I'll, I'll admit that when I think about that, I think, oh, my sins are forgiven. I'm so glad he did that. This, this washing of blood, this cleansing of sins is this communal thing that Jesus offered to the church, to his body of believers, and said, I want to make you holy. I want to make you right with me so that we can engage in eternal community together as the church. So it's fitting that this morning, as you know, a couple hundred of us or whatever, um, we get to take this blood together and reflect on the fact that this forgiveness, this salvation, this grace, this mercy is given to us, not just as individuals, but as people who know and depend on and live in this forgiveness together. So let's drink. God, thank you so much for the sacrifices that you have made so that we can be a part of your body, be a part of this incredible family that you have built, that you've created, that you've sustained. It is so rewarding and so enriching. I pray that as a church community here at FBC, that regardless of the sacrifices, regardless of the challenges, the tensions, the excuses, whatever it is we're facing, as we leave the communion table this morning, God, that you would continue to impress into our hearts and convict us to think about how we can more intentionally engage in this body that you have created for us, this body that you've put together, that you hold together, God. Help us be faithful to that calling. Thank you for being so good and so loving and so graceful and merciful and, and just kind-hearted towards us. We love you so much, God. Amen. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week on Thanksgiving.